ओके सो रिया फर्स्ट ऑफ ऑल वेलकम टू माय पॉडकास्ट आउट ऑफ द हुड विद हमजा इज अ पॉडकास्ट फॉर द पीपल बाय द पीपल सो इट्स ऑलवेज बीन लाइक अ मिशन एट द पॉडकास्ट टू सॉर्ट ऑफ जस्ट ब्रिंग स्टोरीज और यू नो क्रिएट कंटेंट दैट पीपल कैन जस्ट टेक फ्रॉम ऑन अ डे टू डे बेसिस एंड इट्स बेसिकली इट रन्स ऑन द फैक्ट दैट everyone has some of the other story to share and people can benefit from it right uh, my whole purpose with uh, you know doing this podcast with you is also like i think a personal therapy session also because there are quite a few questions mm-hmm. that aren't answered yet um in my entrepreneurship journey and i believe that a lot of people face similar problems or uh, if i don't have to call it a problem maybe like obstacles challenge. uh yeah. challenges that they sort of yeah. need answers to uh so i have a few of them and uh, i have included like i'm going to include like a long introduction of yours before this uh so we can sort of just skip that part um i want to start by asking you a question about uh, on the lines of decision making right so i have okay. just started my own business and there are a lot of things that i do on a day to day basis whether that's like content creation so making reels or then taking business yeah. meetings or just like stuff like that right and in all of this i feel like when you need to do decision making on a day to day basis you need a lot of clarity and sometimes yeah. you lose that cuz you're preoccupied with a lot of things uh so right. according to you uh how do you think you can gain that clarity or things you could do to have clarity on a day to day basis in your routine i think that uh... when you think about the word clarity that right? it's almost like we're all working towards this ideal notion of wanting to make very um authentic decisions very you know crystal clear goals and i think that a large part of that decision making involves knowing a lot about yourself and i think that we skip that part out even though it's one of the largest parts because it's so daunting it's so daunting to think of that in order to make a very aligned or authentic decision i need to know so many parts of me that i'm not even aware exists because in a day to day basis that we're making like a million decisions right whether they're micro decisions whether they're macro decisions whether it's something as um you know macro as the next you know years goals for your company or it is something as micro as what am i going to eat for lunch today all of these de- decisions are um somehow culminated from you know whether it's instinct whether it's cognition whether it's you know um your gut whether it's your programming your conditioning there are so many forces that are going behind this so i think that when we think about um decision making as a whole why i really encourage sort of therapeutic journeys being a large part that can abet and assess one you know in the in the process of decision making is very important because what you're doing when you're um say exploring and learning about yourself on your therapeutic journey is is you're asking questions about yourself right why am i making the decisions i am making we're just not making them um out of our traumas or our conditioning right so if i say for instance you know uh, if i've watched my dad since we're talking about you know decision making in in entrepreneurship or in decision making in businesses if i watch my father um you know run a business and a company in a certain way the chances that i'm going to model that behavior hums are so uh high because as i watched him deal with his stuff yeah. the chances that i i have imprinted that whether i whether i align with it or i don't i'm going to model that just because of my pure conditioning but when i stop down and i think to myself is this the, is this really the way i want to interact with my staff is this really the way i want to interact with my manager my ceo i realize in those moments 
that uh, uh, no maybe i don't i don't want to interact with them at this point but it's only when i take a moment to stop and reflect because if i'm not stopping and i'm not reflecting i'm going to probably do the same thing without recognizing uh, and that's even though it might appear it's clear a clear decision that i want to you know deal with them this way it's not really that clear because it's not authentic to you so i i kind of connect clarity and authenticity together right like the more authentic we are becoming with ourselves the clearer and the more aligned goals we're making for ourselves the more attuned goals we're making for ourselves because if that's the person you're becoming versus person say you know your environment wants you to become or your parents want you to become so it's a little convoluted i wish i had more more direct tips know, and you know tricks as to how <laughs> clear uh, we can make clear decisions but i think that it goes learning about ourselves is a large part of making clear decisions because when you look back in retrospect or in hindsight of certain decisions that you have made you think to yourself ah i made this decision in my 20s okay to start this you know uh, entrepreneurial you know adventure because in those moments these were the factors that seemed most aligned to me you're able to call it a clear decision not oh my god i don't know what i was doing or i don't know how i landed up here because in that moment it was most authentic to you but the only way we get that is by learning very deeply about ourselves and you know i mean of course i encourage therapeutic processes that allow for that but there are so many ways we can learn more about ourselves right whether it's self reflection you know whether it's just spaces to introspect uh, any safe space where you can vulnerably share the kind of person you want to become all of that helps that process got it got it uh you know for me personally uh uh i had the awareness to even understand that you know uh, my mind is sort of clogged with this kind of decision making or i need answers so i have that awareness yeah. personally but a lot of people that i talk to are not aware right and right. as you said like you need to introspect and stuff so like to mm-hmm. gain that awareness to even come to the decision that okay i need therapy to make this to solve this challenge what do you think is the key to that like how do i become aware to even take mm. the first step you know yeah i think that to even get to a point where we recognize that oh i think talking it out with somebody who is considered to be a professional in this space is helpful i think it clearly starts from this idea of stopping and thinking right because i think that even though something so simple i think there is an element of just having to take a step back before we make any decision for ourselves and just taking a second to rethink it and reevaluate and reassess it i don't think we do that right like even when it comes to you know smaller micro decisions we are products of so much programming and cultural conditioning right there's so much cultural conditioning in the way we interact in our responses the way we deal with things on a day to day basis that nobody is really stopping and reflecting so for example like i know it's a little divergent from that you know entrepreneurial examples that we're using earlier on or any sort of you know in, in individual who is starting their own venture um say a, you know a girl at the ages of 22 and 23 her default setting is going to be now it's time to get married or her default setting when she touches you know 26 is ah, i have to have children but because it's very conditioned you're primed you're over years that's what you're primed to do mm-hmm. right so we don't need you know a lot of people have that i met like ha huh, but like we know what needs to be done this is what needs to be done now now and then and then right the developmental milestones that society has laid out for us so concretely the technically we don't need awareness because if you follow this 
path that your parents and grandparents and society is telling you to do, you're going to get max social validation, right? The people that are actually stopping to think, right? So for instance, instead of starting an entrepreneurial venture, imagine going for your regular corporate job or becoming a doctor. So that's what the, that's what the path yeah. is. Uh, but you have stopped. Somewhere in the midst of this journey and this rat race where people are following, you have stopped and you, are, you have asked yourself, what is it that aligns for me in the here and now? Where do I want to put my energies? What are my value systems? My value systems, I want to have social impact. My value systems, I want to make lots of money. Whatever the value system is, right? There's an element that you have stopped and you have taken a second to uh, ask yourself, is this what I want? And that, I think, is the first step. Even though we might not have deep amounts of awareness to get to that eventually or the tools, and that's where maybe therapy assists you at. But to get to that point, it's about stopping and asking ourselves, do I want to get married at 20? Do everyone around me, that's what they're doing. Everyone around me is telling me that's the right thing to do. But is it right for me based on my milestones, based on the woman I want to become, right? So I think that pausing is really important. Pausing... Because we're talking about awareness and reflection as being more ultimate goals or eventually yeah. that's where we want to land up. We want to make every decision with utter clarity, yes. with utter authenticity, you know, in 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 that state of um, conscious attention that most of us are not, you know, really, we haven't all of, we, all of us haven't attained that meditative state yet. But this whole idea of pausing and I think unlearning, right? Like unlearning that what is success for other people might not be success for me. Unlearning that um, my path is going to be different from that. And I think unlearning is the second step, right? I think but pausing and questioning is the first. So I think of like questioning or challenging what's in, what we've inherited or what is given to us and then unlearning that. I might realize that after I ask myself all of these questions at 22, I yet want to get married at 22. And that's fine, mm -hmm. right? But at least I did that emotional, relational labor with myself to know this is what I really, really want. And if not, unlearning the system and saying, what do I want and how do I get there? And that's usually a space where we need some amount of assistance, right? Like, right. I don't want this, yeah. but I don't know how to navigate it. I need some tools. I need some resources. I need something to build the life I really want um, to live. If that, if that yeah, yeah, somewhat yeah. answers your question. I think that gives okay. you a lot of clarity because I think the major problem is that you know everything. You just don't know how to put yeah. it in front of you. I think that's where it helps. Uh, okay, I'm yeah. moving ahead. Uh, like, you know, a lot of people in my circle and uh, my age group start out. Like, they decide on, okay, yeah. this is what I want to pursue and I want to go ahead with this. Uh, but we are very impatient with results and mm. we want everything mm. quick. And uh, yeah. we know that consistency pays off and being patient pays yeah. off in the end, but we still can't exercise it. So how do you think you can get uh, that? I don't know if I should call it get patience. Maybe that's not the right way to say it, but mm. just be able to right. uh, make sure that that end goal, like you can stay committed to that journey. Uh, because sure. sometimes you have thoughts in your head that, okay, maybe it's not working after a few tries, time to drop the yeah. idea, right? Uh, sure. So being consistent, I think, is important. How do you think, like, how should people pursue that? Yeah, I think that I, I resonate a little bit more with you when you say about how maybe our generations, the generations to come as well, uh, we've been exposed to, and I guess not so much we, but maybe, you know, the Gen Z, you know, are exposed yeah. to so much stimuli that instant gratification is what we desire. Right? That's kind of what you're alluding to, this idea that, okay, this is not working really quickly. I'm going to move on to something else. And I think that um, 
while instant gratification is something that we're all seeking for on our day-to-day basis when it comes to starting something of your own or you know uh, building or creating something from scratch i think that you're right uh, you know persistence consistency resilience grit whatever you want to call it are important traits and qualities that we need to cultivate and i think that a large part of that journey entails where they gain that impulsivity for so i know the question is really broad but like yeah. to think of it like this impulsiveness this instant gratification or need for it has come from somewhere we have learned this so at a macro level we can think of social media you know we can think of um I don't know, maybe like our generation, if there are a certain percentage of the economic status having indulged by their parents, it's come from somewhere. Instant gratification has come, uh, the need for instant gratification has come from somewhere. So when we're sitting on a one-on-one basis and learning about that person, the questions that we're asking, Hamza, is where did you learn this from, right? Uh, Your uh, sort of attentiveness span or your... um, inability to sit with failure or what does failure mean for you right like is it about pivoting is it about quitting what what do these words mean you know we often hear a lot of motivational speakers as well talk about like you know don't quit and stick it through and but these are very generic things that we're pasting out there maybe this person who's listening to your podcast or listening to your speech or your talk is in a Mm. really abusive workplace they do not need to stick it through they need to leave right like there's an element of understanding um, at a more nuanced level what these words mean for people. So yes, well, I think it's wonderful to create self-compassion, great resilience, persistence. It's important to understand the context of it, right? So today, if you come to me and say, you know, I've changed seven careers in the last like decade. Of course, my curiosity is going to peak, not because I want to shame you, but because I want to understand what's causing the constant pivoting, right? Have we not found our passion do are we someone who is not made for one job are we someone who you know interdisciplinary work is so um it's frowned upon so much here right and not so much in the united states and i've noticed that you know a lot of people do multiple things at one time you can be you know a a part-time barista as well as a dj as well as so many things but in our country somehow we have to define our streamline and we have to climb up that goddamn ladder whether we like it or not to the highest pinnacle and that's just unfair and i know that now things are changing where people are more open to the idea of being more multidisciplinary being more versatile being more diverse you know having multiple feathers in their hat and I think that again I'm losing track of you know your 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 existing question but I think that all of these qualities are great but we need to understand the relative definition of of this and where they learned this from like where did they learn this instant gratification from maybe if you grew up with uh, in a household where your father was say an alcoholic right for them they have grown up in an environment of unpredictability inconsistency and instant gratification that means that I'm going to pick up on or I'm going to swing the other way where maybe I'm so consistent and I'm so persistent and that I'm even in abusive relationships and abusive workplaces right so I think that there's an element of Yes, we want to cultivate these traits, but we need to understand our thresholds. And thresholds is very relative based on the context, right? So if a client is coming to me and saying, you know, I'm not able to pull through this, I'm not able to stay at one job, there's got to be a pattern there, right? The, the, what our society does is just shames them as either lazy or it shames them as not hardworking enough. And you know, how can you quit so much? But there's something at such a deeper subconscious level that's happening that you and I as outsiders are not, privy to and maybe the client is not as well only when they start talking about their job 
history, when they start talking about the nature of their co-workers, when they start talking about the environments they have placed in, the type of job, their parents and their working relationship with their parents, their parents' attitudes, that's when we start to realize a pattern. And usually you'll be surprised that 99.9% .9 of the time, there is such a pattern that lies in the midst of all of this that's influencing their behavior. So I think that while there are these generic tools, thumbs up, you know, like, um, you know, whether it's meditation, whether it is, you know, some form of, you know, a physical exercise or practice that allows you to cultivate it or yoga, for instance, right, at a biological level, mm -hmm. <laughs> cultivate perseverance, cultivate all of that, which I'm not, I'm not shunning. I think they're wonderful um, tools to use to develop groundedness and you know to to help your anxiety to help you make decisions i think there's a lot of more um larger contextual factors that play that need to be explored and even if you don't want to do it with a therapist to do it for yourself right like where does my impulsivity come from you know have i watched my dad constantly shift jobs which is why i'm modeling that or did my did my mom you know stick up it's such an abusive environment that i believe that sticking up is the only way to success and that is why i'm sticking up in this so it's, it's so complex and nuanced and i think that each individual comes with their own definitions of these words um, but but overarchingly to answer your question, yes, I think that these qualities are valuable as we are navigating any aspect of our life, including interpersonal relationships, not just jobs, um, or just interactions with the people on a day-to-day -day basis around us. Great. Something just came into perspective right now. So I was in uh, Goa for three days for this transformational thing and uh, three mm -hmm. days like a workshop. And right now okay. you spoke about like, questioning like the words that you use what does that mean in your right. life right in a way and that also got me to this meditation course that i did there about you know you not being uh someone who should put meaning to your thoughts but an observer rather uh yeah you know, and i relate to that a lot and it makes so much sense now uh so that's great yeah. moving on from like the part where um like now you're aware okay and you know that you need therapy but somewhere in your right. life you may be at a, at a place or a position where maybe you can't access it financially yeah. or you have other family constraints some people are just scared because of the st stereotype uh, behind it yeah. Um, yeah. so if I had to ask you I don't know how simple is it but like what do you think are solutions hmm. people can find maybe online or in their day to day life or can they talk to if not a therapist somebody else uh, you hmm. know can give them answers it's a tricky place to be if you ask me as well because I have tried yeah. it and it's not that easy. Uh, but yeah. what do you think? Where can they find solutions? I think that, so, so lots of parts to this question, yeah. right? First, yes, deep amounts of stigma associated with anything therapy or therapeutic related, no matter how far we've come along, you know, <clears throat> in this whole mental health awareness and advocacy journey, I know that COVID really sort of, you know, pushed a lot of mental health content onto social media, along with people, you know, some talking about it with more grace and more awareness, some just talking about it, right? But it came to the forefront in a lot of ways. And I think that uh, despite of that, there is deep amounts of, of stigma at a micro level where you'll hear your auntie say that you don't need it and that you can talk to her, as well as at a macro level where you can see that despite of the mental health, you know, laws and the act that was passed in, I believe, 2017, a lot of that is lost in translation. So, you know, they're, they're showing you in that, okay, you know what, now we're going to talk about this. There is large amounts of parity between, um, you know, how a medical 
profession is treated and a therapist is treated. We are considered to be subsidiary, allied, you know, peripheral, on the side, complementary. These are terms that at an institutional level are used for these services, which automatically are telling you, you are, you are lower down on the rung. You are not as important as a surgeon. You are not. So there's a lot of medical um, mm -hmm. hierarchy. Even today, you know, you will reach out to today. If you tell your mother, you have a knot in your stomach, she might not, her mind is not going to go to anxiety. Her mind is going to go to, we have to call up the GP and find out maybe it's a gastro issue. That's yep. just how we're trained. Again, that goes back to that sort of cultural conditioning, cultural programming piece of it, right? So I think that there is a lot of st stigma. There is at a micro and a macro level, a lot of discrimination. There is uh, a lack of access and affordability, right? Like going back to a part of your question, a dearth of, a qualified and credible, and I'm specifically saying that qualified and credible because it's a very unregulated space. The therapy in India is not a regulated space. It is not like the United States. It's not like the UK or other parts where there is just how doctors have licensure here. Okay, therapists don't need to have, uh, and now, yes, there are a few changes for certain sections and all, but for the, in the larger scheme of things, we don't have a very regulated process, which means there are a lot of people out there who can sell this as a service, okay, but not be doing justice to the work or might not be qualified and credible, right? So again, filtering out that when you're reaching out to find someone is learning about their background. You know, please, can you tell me your qualifications? Um, you know, what are your charges? Where do you practice or practice from? You'll be surprised that a lot of quote-unquote therapists, you know, will come to your house, which actually in a lot of ways can be unsafe. There's a lot of yeah. lack of regulation or dysregulation that one needs to be informed about as they reach out to find any support. But going back to, again, one part of your question is the lack of access and affordability. We have very few for the large for how largely and densely populated we are as a country. We're very few because, again, it's a cyclical problem, right? We're not, no one's encouraging, uh, you know, people to become therapists because it's not that well, say, well-paying in the larger scheme of things, or you're not as well-respected as, say, a doctor. Lesser people are going to become it. Lesser people are going to provide the service. And we yet continue to need a lot of mental health infrastructure in the country. And there is a lack of affordability because you're paying out of pocket, Right, and very few institutions and organizations today, and I'm saying today means in the last six months, are now like in organizations that you would consider to be, uh, you know, either startup startups or you know organizations that have a lot of social justice at their ethos. They're the ones saying, okay, maybe we'll reimburse X percentage of your therapy cost, right? Because they're now beginning to put a little bit of that insurance piece into practice, but majority of it is out of pocket. So your therapist is charging you a, a hefty fee because therapy is a luxury in this country. When you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, food and safety are at the bottom, right? Your self-evolution self and your self-actualization is all on top. We're a country mm -hmm. with deep amounts of poverty. We're yet at the bottom. So asking somebody who is working day in and day out to feed their children two meals, they're not going to pay X thousand rupees you know, for one hour to talk about how depressed they feel. They don't have that language. They're not as privileged. So therapy is a privilege. And mm -hmm. I think that these, all of these at an institutional level is what we're kind of advocating for, fighting for, because when you just simply think of insurance as a concept, right? If the government pays us for our services, we can offer them at more subsidized rates and larger people can access and can be more affordable. But you can say at an institutional level, how you're discouraged, Right? They are not incentivized, you're discouraged to go to a therapist because of not just stigma, but also that. 
on a slightly positive note there are a lot of therapists who do you know pro bono services they do something called sliding scale which is uh, they give you a like um they charge according to your income so like they'll make you fill out what your annual income is and based on that a certain percentage is what they charge you so it's more relative and contextual mm-hmm. and individualized to the person so there are a lot of services that can be pro bono that can be sliding scale um and yes therapists in mumbai and i only speak from mumbai because large parts of you know in india i'm not really sure of what the services look like just yet but there are therapists that do that the number is small they're usually overworked they technically in some way are uh, paying a cost for not being paid you know say that actual fee or a fee that maybe feels more compensatory um to them but just like any other you know social justice or ngo organization there are services of that nature i just think that they're harder to find i think they're usually booked out or you know they're they're working on overtime and that again impacts um the relationship you have with your therapist right because you know there are very few you know that they're overworked you're finding for that slot it becomes um the ethos of therapy instead of it being abundance and um you know a safe space to introspect sometimes can become that of scarcity sometimes therapists say i can only see you for 10 sessions because i have x number of people i need to see in a year because of the pro bono service so it's a mm-hmm. lot of institutional factors at play but i think for people that are hoping to seek that support at a time when they have the resources to do so really especially in in this country especially to check um and to learn about their therapists before they start the service right in terms of how qualified they are what is their credibility what kind of therapy do they offer these are some basic questions to ask like what are the confidentiality policies you notice a lot of therapists here will not either verbally or you know in a written document confidentiality is a construct has to has to has to be discussed right and and so these are the some of the basic premises that someone should be informed about as their therapy shopping or as they're looking to find someone um to support them i'm not going to answer any questions about like life coaches because i know you said any kind of solution i know there are life coaches i know there are gurus there are all other permutations and combinations that i think or alternative um you know services that can really really assist someone who is experiencing any kind of distress and i think that it's for you to figure out what works best like a life coach for instance is going to be similar to therapeutic practices yet different because they're more directional they're trained very differently if that's the thing you feel like you need again you know question mark question mark on is this person qualified um to make sure that they haven't just done you know a one hour online certificate and are charging you exorbitant amounts for their advice it's important that you do a decent amount of a background check of your professionals um we don't have a tendency to do that here because we believe in this whole white coat submission which is oh you are a doctor or oh, you are a life coach now you are going to save us and rescue us so feeling a little more empowered about your mental health is very important wow that's a lot of information yeah. that you've put in mm. like i think very precisely and clearly yeah. and uh, i think it serves like a checklist in a way uh, especially this answer so that they can yeah. sort of just listen to this and they know what all they need to look out for uh, very easily very simply so thank you for that uh, to yeah. end this podcast uh, there was this documentary that i was recently seeing by jona hill and he sort of created it mm-hmm. on his therapist uh, the whole documentary okay. was based on that and uh, in the beginning he talks about you know how there are certain tools that every uh, therapist has mm-hmm. and uh, they sort of promote 
so are there any specific tools that sort of you promote or someone can utilize as a universal tool to solve a lot of problems mm. or is there one specific tool mm. for one problem uh do you have any of those mm. see i have mixed feelings about the word tool as well but i think that i, I it's not going to directly answer your question and i'll try to keep this as succinct and short as possible but yeah. um to think of every therapist is trained in a certain modality Mm-hmm. so like um you know if there is uh, say for instance one of them is like cognitive behavioral therapy one of them is psychodynamic you know what freud found it so a bunch of <laughs> a bunch of you know white men but also you know other theorists over being trained and when you're working you realize that there are some as you call psychotechniques or there are you know certain um modalities or orientations or frameworks that you subscribe to more than others okay. and it works for you so for instance i'll give you one example like when you think of again this is very reductionist it's not all encompassing but someone who's trained specifically in cbt which is cognitive behavioral therapy there is a certain way they are going to deal with a client's concern or challenge when they bring that into the room right their framework of looking at the concern is going to be okay what is a thought this is evoking okay this thought is you know impacting and influencing this you know uh, behavior okay this behavior is impacting you know this is why you're behaving this so they have like a certain model that they are going to you know sort of like your cognition your behaviors and your thoughts sort of this is how it's it's all landing in together versus say someone who is more person centered which is just for instance another kind of theory their approach is going to be maybe more unconditional listening it's going to be more of you know letting the client coming up with the solution so everyone's got their own orientation i think that in today's world a lot of people use something called eclectic like they mixed you know theories from you know different just like when you study you know business right you have a bunch of theorists talking about a bunch of things about yeah. marketing and you know some things land and some things don't land and you realize that for my business i'm going to use this theory and then i'm going to use that one that theory and i think that this is very beneficial in a south asian context and you're going to mix it all together so it's eclectic i specifically truly enjoy as an academic interest as well as then you know my orientation is very non directional so it's very divergent from say more um cbt oriented work it's non directional it's non diagnostic unless a client really needs a diagnosis because it's going to help them either for insurance purposes or school purposes or something um and it's um gestalt and existentialist little broad i'll break that down for you uh, gestalt specifically has a bunch of tools but the one i enjoy the most is what we call the here and now technique So the here and now technique talks about um the idea that when a client comes in after two or three sessions you pick up on the way the therapy session is going on and the way they're interacting with you is a fertile ground for how some of their interpersonal relationships are going to be outside wow. the therapeutic session mm-hmm. right so it's a little it's a little bit of having like this third eye and watching the dynamic here so say for instance a man comes in and he's talking about you know a concern that he has with females in general and you're a female therapist here yeah? and so the way he's interacting you is giving you a fertile ground of the data okay of maybe how he is with other women mm-hmm. even though he's saying it to you what's happening in the here and now is so telling of just maybe some of the symptoms some of their pathologies um some of their concerns challenges the way they interact so that's one of my favorites because i think that um it's giving you a live representation of your client like they're bringing themselves into the work which i think is really powerful so the here and now is 
one aspect of gestalt um, along with large amounts of you know uh, parts work parts work is okay this part of you wants to do this but i'm wondering what this part is telling you so you know sometimes when we're trying to resolve conflict you know there's one part of me that wants especially so okay, let's just take social anxiety one part of me really wants to go to this party you know she's this really cool girl that's invited me but the other part is really really scared and so we we draw out these parts so we talk we exaggerate these parts sometimes in a clinic we even perform these parts you, know, you keep it's called the empty chair technique we put two chairs and we make our clients sort of oscillate okay so one part is saying you know i'm really anxious and i'm not confident i can't and then the other one flips over and says but you can really do this because you want to be you know a popular girl whatever it is right so understanding our parts and where they come from i think is really important because a large part of all of these mental health diagnoses involves parts clashing against each other right so there's one part of me that's anxious there's one part of me that's confident there's one part of me that's shamed but there's also one part of me that's i don't know resilient and so learning about our different parts and how they can all work as a coherent narrative rather than constantly cause anxiety or panic or depression or all of these you know words we use very casually um is 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 an interesting again as you said tool or a psychotechnique that we um is something that i found beneficial in a lot just to understand your different parts and you can do this yourself as well right like when you're problem solving when you're trying to make a decision what part is holding me back what part is you know encouraging me to do this whose voice is this a lot of times our parts are our parents voices or our guardians voices or our teachers voices um this so is just it's interesting as as we learn more about our psyche about our subconscious um but yeah there there's so many beautiful ones out there these are just two that i know i subscribe to more often um because i find really beautiful you know results even body work you know where do you feel it in your body can you describe it or the anxiety feels like this silver coil cord you know that's intertwined and then we give that a little life so some of the parts work body work here and now work is what i enjoy but there are some really beautiful tools and techniques out there to learn more about yourself wow <laughs> okay uh i think that's about it like from the questions that i had to ask you sure. specifically and i would never ever consider to get so much information short a, a such a short amount of time uh yeah. i think you've like packed in so much in like this short podcast and because what i try to do is keep it limited because i know that uh when it comes to podcast people don't have you know right. that capacity to listen for a long amount of time sure. so your ability as a podcaster isn't to put maximum information in the minimum amount hmm. of time and you've really yeah. helped me with that so uh thank you so much thank you for being here once again I'm glad. and i am going to yeah. put in all your information when i post this podcast it's going to be on youtube as well sure. and the audio sure. version is going to be on spotify so everybody can listen to it and uh, yeah. even the mind health page is going to be included so people can go and see all the beautiful content that you're putting out there uh yeah. thank you once again thank you for having me hamza i hope hopefully i i tried to succinctly put all the information i could and string it together into a narrative but hopefully it wasn't verbose uh and i hope that people that are listening can take away whatever resonates most with them thank you ria and hope to connect with you okay. soon maybe in another podcast yes. definitely thank you hamza thank have you. a good evening good evening bye, bye.